Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. My name is Jean, and I am joined tonight by co-host Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Jean. Glad to be talking with you tonight. Always a pleasure. And you and I are very excited about our guest because we went through great lengths, jumped through all kinds of telephone hoops to get her on the line all the way from New Zealand. Uh, tonight's guest is Lotta Dan, and Lotta's readers know her best as Mrs. D, the formerly, formerly anonymous sobriety, uh, sobriety blogger. Say that five times fast, even when you're sober. Sobriety blogger. Her blog is Mrs. D is going without, and she stepped forward recently as a recovery advocate with the recent New Zealand release of her book, Mrs. D is Going Without. And Lotta's here tonight to share her story and chat with us about her book and life before and after she found her way to living alcohol-free. Hello, Lotta. Hi, Jean. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Gosh, it's good it to feels, hear your voice. It's it great, great to be to call here you from Lada. a very cold and very wet and very windy Wellington. But it's lovely to be on the phone with you guys. Ah. So it's winter there. We're in the midst of summer here in our areas, uh, but we're all together, and that is lovely. The wonder of the Internet. The Internet has saved my liver, but we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you know, we have a lot of of listeners that that, uh, listen to this show on their commute while they're on the subway going to work or while they're out walking their dogs. Um, before I was on the show, I listened to it faithfully as I ran or shuffled in the morning. And so our listeners are just all all over the globe as well, doing all sorts of things as they're listening. So I just feel really united with everyone when we when we have this moment of of everyone saying hello. And you're right; it is yeah. all through the glory of the internet that we're brought together to help each other. And this is what's so important for addicts, particularly because we get so locked in our own heads. And if we cannot feel alone with our struggles, yeah. it's just hugely powerful. Mm-hmm. And when things are Definitely. hard, that tends to be our instinct, is to be alone. But before we get really uh, chatting and picking your brain, Lada, I want to just start out by having you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself and your life and tell us your story. Yeah, okay. Well, I, um, I'm i 42 now. I was born in 1971 in a city called Christchurch, New Zealand, which is down in the South Island of New Zealand. And um, I'm one of four girls, and I had a pretty standard childhood in a pretty standard city in a pretty sort of standard westernised country. There wasn't any um, huge drama or it wasn't plain sailing. It was a very average sort of childhood with, with average ups and downs. But what, you know, my story is is that I started drinking alcohol at around the age of 15 and that you know was a steady regular part of my life from that moment on I don't remember ever making a conscious adult decision to be a drinker it's just that alcohol was in my life always so at 15 I started drinking uh, you know I, I, I first got drunk on Marque Vu which was cheap bubbly wine I I was sick that night, but that didn't stop me. I just loved the feeling of alcohol in my body. I think, you know, I keep trying to ask myself, why am I an addict? I think it's a combination of factors, and one of those factors is physically I just really like the sensation of alcohol in my body. I love the tingly feeling. I love the, the, the warmth, and I loved what it did to my brain. From the moment I touched it, I loved it. <laughs> 
And, you know, I just spent most of my life uh, honing that drinking skill. So, I, you know, again, I sort of say it was normal. It was an enthusiastic drinking uh, relationship, but it was normally enthusiastic in my world. You know, other people were doing what I was doing. We would get drunk at parties. We would, um, you know, maybe the older I got, certainly having a drink at 5 o'clock was normal. It was a daily, you know, occurrence, probably not every day to start with, but it was just a part of my life. I was a drinker. Um, And, you know, I I trained as a journalist. I worked in television news, mostly behind the scenes, so organising newsrooms was my forte and helping, you know, send the cameras out on jobs. And it was a busy, active, high-pressure, high-stress kind of fun environment and drinking was a part of that so I was able to carry on my my habit in that environment and um, right through until I travelled overseas I went to Australia and then I, after that I went to live in London for three years and I was just always drinking all the time and I never saw it as a problem for most of my life, it, it was just what everyone did, I thought, and it certainly was what I knew I did, but I didn't have a problem with it because I was holding down my life. I was studying and working, and, I mean, it's amazing to me now that I managed, it just shows, you know, the capability I have as a human being that I managed to do all these things and drink all the time, but that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and until the point where I, I couldn't do it anymore. I can talk. I, I don't know if you want to go over any more detail about that, those early days, or whether I should go straight into what the kind of end of my drinking was like. What do you guys think? Well, tell us how it changed. When did you start to notice that it was changed? I think it started changing when I started having children. I think that was the point where the drinking became more entrenched, more crucial to my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly steadier and heavier. But, I, you know, the groundwork was laid. So I'm not saying having kids turned me into a boozer. The groundwork right. was there. But I think the point, right. of, the real point of change came when I started being at home more with kids and what was already a part of my life became a much more, you know, embedded, dysfunctional part of my life because it wasn't social anymore. It was very, you know, just me and my alcohol in my house at five o'clock and you know to start with when the kids so 10 years ago I had children it was um it was still kind of just dancing on the side of normal but it it was almost like sometimes I you know you know what it's like with kids you just groundhog day every day is the same and sometimes the only thing I would do outside of the house would be to go out with the pram and walk to the shop and get a bottle of wine or or a lottery Mm -hmm. ticket or something you know some kind of you know little thing to pick up (laughs) and come home and that was all I sort of did in the day outside of the house the rest of the time was just being with the babies or toddlers so that was when it really started to um, bed in and then I just started to really become and it takes years I reckon for this gnawing doubt and worry to really take hold but I started to slowly become aware that I was having hangovers regularly or that I was not happy if we didn't have wine in the house or that I'd let myself down. Maybe I'd said I was only going to have one and I'd have three. It was just, yeah, it was just the fact that I was on my own more and I was drinking more and I was not not, um, moderating it very successfully. And it took a good four, five years, I think, of that before I actively started being more aware this is a problem and I need to really try and moderate. And then it was two good years of really actively trying to moderate, like actually writing down what I was drinking and when, like proper techniques. I got books out of the (laughs) library. I was very active with myself to try and moderate. And then finally at the point where I... I became deceitful with it and just realized I was never going to be able to moderate, and then I took it away. And then what? 
Go ahead, Catherine. Well, I was just going to say this is this kind of goes back to what you said in the beginning, Lada, about connection. Because you know, when I first got sober, I really thought I was the only one somehow that would let myself down by having three instead of one. Except, let's face it, I would probably have six instead of one. Yeah, um, but my or, three were big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big, big punch bowls of, of wine. Um, you know, or getting anxious that there's no wine in the house, or you know that that battle of moderation. And I really, I was so isolated that I didn't, and and I too was holding down my life, as as you said. Um, so I sort of thought, well, I I can't be that bad, but this other stuff is crazy. And so the power of connection with hearing the stories of other alcoholics was just so important to me because I, I, I could kind of let, let down my hair a little bit or just sort of relax into it like, whoa, these people seem cool and they're telling my story. So Yeah, it's um, really hard to admit it to yourself though because, mm-hmm. I mean, I just didn't want it to be a problem because I wanted to keep drinking. You know, I right. loved it. I just loved it, and I thought it was really important and cool and fun and nice and, and lovely. I thought it was a lovely thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I did. Even when I was struggling to control it, I didn't want it to go because I thought it was lovely. And that is really hard to shift. And, it, again, it takes time to shift that opinion and only now, I mean, now I look back, not just on those last two to four years of moderate, trying to moderate, but, it, but my whole life, and, and see the drinking as not lovely at all. And I've, every yeah. time I look, keep looking at photos from when I was in my 20s and 30s, and so often now I just remember I got drunk that night, I got wasted mm-hmm. that night, oh, that night was a bit of a shocker. Like, actually, mm-hmm. it wasn't lovely but I was in really genuine denial about that. I didn't see it as a problem at all. Lana, this is... I absolutely agree. When you were working um, in the newsroom culture, you know, the news news and journalism, and you said there's a lot of drinking in that culture, but did you see other people and thought, oh, they have a problem? That's what a problem looks like. Did you catch yourself doing that and then say, well, I don't have a problem? That's what a problem looks like. No, I wasn't in an active discussion with myself at all about alcohol in that regard. It was just normal. Even if someone got really drunk and Mm -hmm. vomited (laughs) at the end of a party, that was just what happened. I mean, that's just what happens in our society. And we don't... I never, I should say, I could talk about myself only, I never saw that as a problem. The only, you know, the only time I'd ever really think someone had a problem is if they were absolutely falling apart with their life, like really badly, not holding their lives together at all. And then you'd go, well, I've got a problem. But vomiting at the end of a party, turning up to work hungover and needing to lie on the sofa all day, that's, that's, that was fine. That's just what mm-hmm. life is around here you know I can remember turning up when I was about I must have only been about 19 or 20 and I was working in Sydney as a copy girl for News Limited so a junior you know running around literally getting files and making coffee and I went out drinking one night after work all night long at the press club you know so cool I thought turned up to work not having slept and having been drinking all night, tried to do my shift, got to about 10 or 11 in the morning, and just I remember sitting on the toilet just feeling so sick and needing to go home. And even then, that was just something that happened. Other people did that too. I mean, <laughs> we do tolerate mm-hmm. a good, an awful lot of bad behaviour around drinking. In, in New Zealand and Australia, anyway, I mean, I don't know what it's like in America and Canada, but do you guys, did you tolerate that sort of thing and not... You know, it was it was seen as okay. This is Jean. I well, I think it sort of depends in the arena that you're in. I I would say like as a young person, definitely, in even in high school, in university, that was very much part of what was going all around you, and it was fun. You know, you're in on the fun. Yeah. And 
someone always went too far, and and good for them. That's fun and entertaining, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. And then uh, as as we got older and started our careers, and I think you you could kind of see like I think some communities have different um, levels of normalization for drinking, different professions do. But yeah, I think it's it's very accepted and very normalized. But I do think then when there's someone who I, I do think people get a little bit ostracized or labeled as, you know, the one that goes too far. And I always made sure no one ever saw me as that person. Yeah, that's right. And 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 even if I did, you know, once or twice go that extra step where I would say vomiting or falling over into buildings, things which I, you know, I can remember doing, stumbling and just falling over into a, a wall. <laughs> It would be, I'd, pro- I'd probably, you know, in the back of my mind, pull myself back for a while so that I wasn't seen to be that one. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, this is Catherine, I think my sense of how normal it was got skewed because I think certainly when you're young and you've got a little bit of money coming in, you're kind of a bit wild. And, and I work in... um a very male-dominated industry, so it can get pretty wild. Um, but now that I'm sober and I, I travel a lot for work and I get involved in all kinds of conferences and, you know, client entertaining and stuff like that, you know, I really <laughs> I look around and I realize that not as many people were, you know, as hard-charging as I thought they were. Well, I mean, that was just yeah. me. You know, so I, I do. I sort of wonder about it. Um, maybe I was just hanging out with the the partiers, or maybe I just was my own party train. It's hard to say. Yeah, but at the core of all of this, I really do believe, and even now, really, all that matters is your own relationship with yourself. And I yeah. now look back on my life and see that my relationship with myself wasn't fully formed, and that the alcohol was stopping that from happening, and I didn't realize that. And really what other people thought about me and what I was doing is irrelevant. It was the fact that I was just stopping myself from really knowing myself that well and being content, which is all I want to be. That is and so I think wait, this is Catherine. I, I hear that. We hear that a lot on the show with with people who give us feedback that, well, I think that I have a problem, but my spouse is saying, no, you're not that bad, or my friends or my family, they're saying you're not that bad. And what I hear you saying is so much about honesty that, like, for example, you thought that the drinking was lovely, but now when you look at it with an honest eye, you see how unlovely it was. And, you know, if you looked at your relationship with yourself, you could be honest about, how challenging the moderation was, for example. And I just think that that honesty is sort of, it doesn't matter what other people are saying about our our drinking or anything else. Like, we know. We know. And we we need to be really honest with ourselves. I mean, I've been meeting a few people lately who have been saying to me, oh, my husband's not understanding or he's not wanting to understand or what they're feeling is they're not getting what they want from their husband and in actual fact the husband can't do or give anything you've just Mm. got to concentrate on what it is that you know and need to do in your relationship with yourself Mm -hmm. and so what was that for you what was that like for you when you started to realize that Well, this is why I've found my sobriety so fascinating because I didn't come to a lot of these realizations until after I'd got sober. So for me, the first step of the honesty was just about the the liquid of alcohol. I cannot control it. I've tried to limit and moderate and control how I use this drug of alcohol. I can't. I'm going to take it away. That was my first honest step just between me and the liquid in the glass. Right. And so I took away the liquid and thought I'm going to break this habit, you know, deal with the cravings, deal with whatever comes at me and live without it. It wasn't until I got down the track of being sober that I started looking at all these other things about me and my relationship with myself and, and my relationship with the world. And um, And this is where it's just opened up for me and I just love it so much because that's what's shifted now and it's it's actually 
taking away the alcohol has just uncovered all this wonderful discovery for me that's left, led me to this place of much greater contentment than I've ever had my whole life. And I was not an unhappy person. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't. I was, I was a happy, optimistic, you know, fun person. Yet I just feel like I'd never actually got to that place where I'd found myself. The alcohol, I wasn't really lost but the alcohol had stopped me from being really found, and now I feel I'm much more in touch with me, and that's why I just really love it. <laughs> I I want to read something that you wrote that really struck me, because I'm, I'm kind of going through a little bit of a hard time right now just um, with some family members that have been ill and, you know, just the hard things that come along in life. And I... And I'm finding, I'm thinking, oh, man, this is when people drink, you know. This is when normal people, this is when normal people need a drink. And I have to find a way to to um, to take my stress off without that. And then I read this that you wrote, Vada, in your book. Uh, you said, um, dealing with, we're not supposed to swear on this show, but I'm going to, dealing with shit, raw, all the time, forever. Actually live through every single feeling, every single day, every single feeling that comes at me and never drinking to escape. And not just the bad shit like anger and stress and sadness, the good shit too, like elation and triumph and joy. All of the time, all of it raw. And you say, um, no big glasses of red wine to take the edge off a stressful day, no bubbles to toast in celebration, no cold beer to welcome summer. Looking ahead into my life and imagining dealing with everything in a raw state is somewhat overwhelming. But that rawness is true, isn't it? Yeah, and that rawness is, you know, being a fully alive human being on this mm-hmm. earth, living this crazy life we lead, we live. I mean, it's it's just, you know, it's, the bad stuff is life. And the good stuff is life. And and mm-hmm. for me, you know, because I drank to, to, to try and avoid the bad stuff, I wanted things to be fun and upbeat all the time. Accepting and and being okay with the bad stuff, which is hard sometimes, right? I mean, people mm-hmm. who are tricky and things that hurt and, you know, the the, the stuff of life that isn't fun. You know, but we can't avoid. I've tried to avoid, and for me, it's not just how am I going to deal with this bad thing in front of me. It's more of an overall. You know, this is the experience of being a human being, all of it. Right. And I'm going to be open to that now, and that's what I am really enjoying because it's such a gnarly challenge. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, and, and they come at you, don't they? I mean, tricky people and horrible news and just stuff, you know, that is is hard. But this is life. So I feel quite sort of, I, I do feel very, I mean, it's such a shift for me in how I've lived for all of my adult life. It, and I, I'm getting help with how to deal with these things from listening to talks and stuff. But it's it's a fundamentally changed way of living for me. And I, I see it as, I see it as just a challenge. And also I see it as, is me being honest with the world now. This is actually what life is about. I just tried to think, make things fun and upbeat all the time, and that just, was just ridiculous. Right. Yeah. It can't always be that way. But what you just said right. is so important, that you're, you're not only are you, yes, you're raw and you're really feeling everything, but you're also, un, we are unencumbered when it comes to having the ability now to learn a new way to deal with things. So we strip away these bad habits and these these ineffective tools that we've tried and decided aren't going to work for us. When we take them away, we are very vulnerable, but we are also now able to try something new. And that's what you just said. So you're doing lots of reading and finding some new ways to deal with things that ultimately work better. Yeah, and, that, and some things work for me and some people I listen to I like. They might not be the the right people or the right books or whatever for everyone because we're all so unique. And also, Mm -hmm. you know, you might take away the alcohol and have some really big, really big stuff to deal with, but it's all about finding your way of dealing with that that isn't the the booze, basically. So it isn't because the booze, 
is a band-aid where you might need a sling. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's right. it's being smart about, you know, I, I was saying to Jean when we had a, a chat earlier today that uh, I know that I can be, sometimes I can be open to criticism, or not criticism, but say comment about the fact that my life, you know, is, to be honest, it's I was lucky in that I could just concentrate on taking the alcohol away. I had a steady relationship. I'm in a comfortable environment, and I don't have any major underlying sort of mental health or, or historical issues of major. I'm not saying everything's peachy, but I didn't have a big thing. So, yes, I was able to focus on the alcohol, and now I just deal with, you know, the normal ups and downs. Now, some people take the alcohol away, and there is a big thing there. And they might not be naturally optimistic or they might have, you know, it's a bigger job to be sober. And But the point is, at least with the alcohol gone, you can you can get to the root of that and work on that. And if, if it means getting proper extra help, do that. You know, I don't yeah. want, you know, I don't want to sort of say that the road is easy. Take the booze away, deal with cravings and suddenly everything's great. That's not, you know, true for everyone either. It's a mm-hmm. it's an individual journey. There's no doubt about that. But I'm hearing you say too. This is Catherine about um, getting help, and maybe you can talk a little bit about the ways that you do that because I think that's something that I'm really learning in sobriety. It's like, yeah, okay. I mean, that passage that Jean just read from your book that that took me right back. So that's it. That was exactly how it felt. It was so frightening. You know. I'm, a little over two years into this and that took me right back but I'm learning that I tried to do everything alone and that even in early sobriety and that didn't get me very far but I'm learning to to trust people and get help and which also then avails me to be of assistance to somebody else um, by by being by myself I was removing myself from being able, you know, from helping somebody else as well. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the ways in which you get support. Yeah, well, for me, for me, the big one was getting support of fellow addicts through the Internet, through my blog, and just being able to converse in a daily and weekly way with people who, you know, have a brain that's wired like mine, i.e. addicts. Mm-hmm was really, really helpful, and that's an ongoing thing for me, I mean, that kind of communication. I do also a lot of asking people around me that I come into contact with, how do you deal with bad stuff? I mean, especially the people I look and I think, they seem calm and together, and I literally (laughs) do often say, like, to elderly people in my neighborhood that I might meet and get to know and be having a cup of tea with, I'll suddenly say to them, can you tell me how you deal with tough times? So I really kind of researched that. And then, you know, also I've been blogging a lot about her lately, but, you know, for me this wonderful woman uh, called Tara Brach, B-R-A-C-H, who puts Mm -hmm. talks on her website. She's a kind of meditation expert and and she really works for me um really really works for me she gives me tangible practical techniques that i do use day in day out but you know the people i i sometimes worry or wonder about are the ones who are sort of getting sober maybe i've met them here in my neighborhood and they they're very quiet about it and they don't I keep saying to people, come on to the blogs and comment, and they don't do that, or they don't go to meetings, and they're not. And I just, I just, you know, everyone has to find their own way. But I think that, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, and please correct me if I am, but I think that to, to retreat solely into your own head and not read, talk, or seek out any kind of information to, to, to feed yourself it would be a dangerous place to be in. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Well, this is Jean. I agree 100%. I think that's how we get lost in addiction to begin with, is by trying to retreat and and fix things ourselves. And um, and that's you know you you can't heal. You can take the alcohol away and stay there, but you it's very difficult to heal. Um, It's and I say that knowing I I did try that um, for a long Mm -hmm. time, and it was very pivotal to me when my blog started connecting me with other people 
And then when I finally started talking to people in my life, and that little by little led me to meet other people in recovery. And it really is those face-to-face discussions um, or talking on the phone like this with people in recovery. And I want to say something, too, because I researched this a little bit. It was very curious to me. I had a lot of people that wrote into my blog and said, if you're not going to meetings of whatever kind, if you're not going to meetings, you you won't stay sober. You can't stay sober without being in a program. And I thought, well, gosh, I've got three years and I'm doing pretty well. And uh, is that true? You know, I really wanted to know because if it was true, I would I was happy to pursue it. But I really felt like I was on quite a good path. So the research that I did taught me this, that there are different degrees of difficulty in treating a case of any disease, and addiction is one of them. And some of the compounding factors that make it easier or more difficult to treat has to do with the primary relationship at home. So if you are in a good, stable relationship, and if that person... uh, whether or not the your um you know the person people that you live with whether or not they are battling addictions as well so if you're the only addict in the household and you have stable relationships that is one thing that is a factor that helps some people recover um with less support another one is socioeconomic status just people that are not worried about uh, as worried about where's the next meal going to come from am i safe tonight so having a bit of Stability in your day-to-day life helps a lot. And then the most important thing is the underlying trauma. And all of us use to try and treat an underlying trauma from what I've read. And so depending on the severity of that, if, if it is really huge, it's very difficult to recover on your own without any kind of help. Um, if, it's, if it's mild, then people can sort of put together, self-manage their recovery. But if you have really big, big stuff to deal with, your best chance from recovery is going to come from being in a strong support network, in a strong program, and probably having some professional guidance as well. So this is yeah, what, that's so great to hear that because I think yeah. that that's what we were talking about, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That and, there are different and I think, degrees. Go ahead, Catherine. Well, yeah, this is Catherine, and I mean, you know, I I think we're always talking on the show about. how important it is to get in real life support and at the end of the day why do it alone like why make Mm -hmm. it harder on ourselves than we need to which yeah it's often taking that first step that's the hardest yeah and and i think that i you know my experience was that it I kind of have opened up like a little flower you know as i'm going along so i sort of you know, started out, and now I'm somebody who goes, I go to recovery meetings every day, I do the bubble hour, I, you know, there's different things that I I talk to, I have a gratitude practice with a group of sober women, Um, there's a group of sober women that I talk to every day, so, but that didn't, it's not just like I jumped right into the deep end and said, now I'm going to share everything with everybody, it was sort of like, building that support but i will say that my experience was i think the one big mistake i've made in two plus years is that i didn't i didn't i wasn't open to in real life support of whatever kind um as soon as i maybe could have been and i wish i i i went i went about it on my own, probably a little too long. That was a mistake. So that's just been my experience. And yeah, but you went about it. And look at you now. I mean, you know, right, <laughs> right. And because this is Jean, I have to say something. I missed. So long. I ha- this is Jean. I have to say something important. I missed in listing what the factors were in um, in uh, people that are generally successful in self managed recovery. And this is probably the most important key how far advanced you are into your disease before right. you stop. People that have a fairly high bottom uh, have uh, also a little bit more success 
in self-managed recovery. That's really important. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I Absolutely. Say that. Except that I think that there's a bit of honesty that has to go into, like, what really is a sort of, quote-unquote, high bottom. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm in a stable relationship. I make good money and so don't have financial worries. And, you know, kind of on the outside, I, I would have looked really pretty high bottom. I, you know, I never yeah. had any legal trouble. I never had any sort of the obvious stuff that we kind of talk about. And yet I know how unlovely I was and how right. how unlovely my insides were. And so I, I think it's it's super important to kind of go back to that honesty piece. Yeah, I think it is too. And I, I think it's really important to say that um, as people are, are uh, and I, I always tell the readers this when they're saying, well, I really want to try and do it myself. And I say, okay, well, that's, it's good to try. But, you know, if, it, if, if you're finding that it's not working, you need to try something else and you need to stay open mm-hmm. because there's a lot of great things out there. But I think we all agree that the, the best bit of recovery is conversations like this where you get to talk to other people and you get to connect with people in life that have walked the path you're on because we think we're so darn alone and we're really not. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I keep wanting to call you Mrs. D, Lotta. I'm still not used to calling you Lotta. <laughs> but Lotta, you, this is really key to the story that you tell in your book, that you know you, you kind of started your blog to recover in private, but it blossomed like that flower, as Catherine was mentioning, as you connected with other people and as other people connected to you. And it was really the people that breathed life into your recovery Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And if I hadn't found that community, I I think I would have started going to meetings in my neighborhood. And I'm still open to doing that, too, because I just think I'm missing out on meeting lots of lovely local people who are in recovery. But certainly Mm -hmm. it was that community of support and and wisdom that started coming to me through the blog, which was, I mean, even to this day, it's like magical fairy dust. I just can't Mm -hmm. believe it. Yeah. It makes your heart sore, so, doesn't it? So at the moment, with the media that I'm doing around my book, and it's thrown me open to this wider sector of my local, you know, New Zealand, all these people are kind of coming at me with their stories on email and stuff, which is lovely, and in person. And I keep saying to them, you need to come into the space, at least in the first instance, online, and start seeing how many of us yeah. there are and what kind of loveliness you can get from that. Yeah. Because it is a lonely disease when you're on your own, and we are all in our homes. But nowadays, our homes have computers with modems, and we can connect. And Mm -hmm. you can be anonymous if you need to, to start with. And that Mm -hmm. was also very powerful for me, that I was Mrs. D and not Lotta, and I could be open and honest. I mean, the whole thing has just been the most amazing amazing thing that's why i had to write a book i kept saying to my husband i just think this is a really interesting story oh my god what's happened yeah you know not just what i've learned about myself and alcohol but the blog and the community and the support and what i've learned i need to write it down so that people can um get take it for themselves i mean i didn't my husband is a tv presenter and we have been very private We've been asked a lot to do magazines and what have you over the years, and we've always said no. We didn't want to be. I don't. I'm not doing this to kind of show off. I'm right. doing it because I really wanted people to know. Look what I found. Oh my God! Come on, <laughs> you can find it too. <laughs> exactly. I always think of it as like leapfrog. You know, I'm not the authority on anything, but here, take what I've learned and and like shortcut so you don't have to go through everything i went through to learn it take it learn it a little bit faster than me and then leap over me and you know yeah teach me something and then i'll leap over that's you that's exactly and, right yeah yeah Feedback. We, we need each other you know that's what i keep saying and the fact that the internet does provide you know on that on that level immediate warmth and loveliness but as we're saying you know you may need to go that extra step and meet people in your neighborhood i mean why wouldn't you if you wanted to that would be great but at least in that first instance, in our day and age, we have this amazing 
resource available to us and I just think it's magical. I mean, I don't know that I'd be sober today without what happened to my blog. Yeah, what was the impetus for starting the blog? Uh, well, I'm an externalizer um, <laughs> as my, <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not very enigmatic. I tend to bang on about things verbally <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, writing is something I've done, obviously, being a journalist. And I had written some letters to myself, you know, just on pen and paper in my moderation phase. So for me in my brain, I was like, now I'm going to take this this thing away. I'm going to keep writing letters to myself. I'll do it on the Internet because I type fast. I mean, it was a very pure... Blogs aren't a huge big deal in New Zealand. There are blogs around, but we're not a natural blogging nation. There's not a lot of people who just kind of blog daily. I mean, there are some, but it's not such a massive thing. So it wasn't that I knew about blogs. It was more, I'm going to write to myself every day and stay on top of my brain. So that that's mm-hmm. why I suppose I was just so astounded with what, what then grew in terms of community, because I hadn't thought of that. My, my experience and was almost exactly the same, Lada. And then as people start to connect... Um, just it takes on a life of its own, doesn't it? Oh, it's just, I love it. And I even love if there's contrary opinions and grittiness mm-hmm. and, you know, as long as it's not nasty, but I haven't really encountered any real nastiness. It's just, it's the world, you know, and it's alcohol and it's human, so it's complicated, but it's just so real and oh, I love everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, and you know, I was so unreal when when I was I was so inauthentic, and I think that was just the source of so much of my pain, because I was trying to present yes, and that's somebody. My favorite word, authentic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's I mean that's I think you know at least my experience with your blog is that that's why it resonates for me, and probably why for a lot of people is that it's it's so authentic. Um, gritty and all. Yeah, well, that, that you mean just the way that I'm able to articulate myself yeah, in right, a way that's voice, very you know. bald. Yeah. yeah, well, that's just a skill that I've discovered I have. I didn't know that I had that, that, that kind of way of writing, just baldly, you know, just absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very kind of upfront. But the authenticity mm-hmm. that I'm sort of meaning runs deeper than that in terms of just becoming the authentic you. I mean, I oh, just yeah. wasn't either. Yeah. I really wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was a... I was a version of myself that was trying to be cruisy and upbeat and warm and lovely, but also just, I mean, how can you be authentic when you're guzzling wine like I was constantly, dulling myself? I mean, I I was pushing a barrel uphill or whatever the saying is. Right. (laughs) Now, you know, it's just so much easier to be who you are. Sometimes that's uncomfortable, you know, but at least if you're taking the booze away, you are right there. There's no escape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Lada, I had asked you if you would pick kind of a, a specific topic to talk about tonight, too. I mean, we're we're just kind of entering into the last 20 minutes or so of the show, but I know we sort of wanted to sort of have a hot topic that we could talk about. And what did you decide that that should be? Well, what's you know, happened recently for me has, has been what I thought we could talk about, which has only been the last, four weeks really which is the, the the opening up and the coming out and becoming a, a, a advocate for recovery or a, um, a visible person in recovery it's been a very extreme intense month for me extremely mm-hmm. intense <laughs> and very interesting because I've widened myself to a lot of people at and not just the people who are interested in recovery who had who already knew about me, but I've widened myself out to, you know, anyone who watches TV here in New Zealand or reads any... I mean, I've been everywhere. I've been on so many radio shows, TV, magazines and what have you, and I'm getting a mixed, um, overwhelming response, a little bit mixed, but mostly positive. And it's just, yeah, it's just raised a few things that I think are quite interesting <laughs> about now, me, I you suppose. Need to know- your your video has uh, the interview on um, New Zealand TV has not only been viewed in New Zealand because I know I posted it on on Pickled's Facebook page and 
it exploded. Tons of people were watching it here, and I know you have a Facebook page as well. And so it's definitely making the rounds, and people were so excited to connect with you and to really see you come forward as an advocate. And how has that felt? Have you felt vulnerable or free, or what? what is the feeling like now? Yeah, vulnerable, definitely, and at times anxious, and I'm not someone that's prone to being anxious, and I have had anxiety, like a physical pain in my chest at times, like after Mm. the camera crew left after the four days of filming me, before the piece went to air, I got very, I felt so exposed and vulnerable after having just given them all the material on camera for four days, they spent four Mm -hmm. days, Um, and I really had to deal with that. But I just go to this place, I mean, I have to go to this place in my mind of absolute honesty with myself, and I feel very strongly, and I keep in mind this image of one person who is basically me three years ago, standing there, you know, a shadowy figure, so I can't see who she is, but I've just invented this vision of this person in my mind, and she's just standing there saying to me, <laughs> don't let anything stop you, and I'm just doing it mm-hmm. because of that, because I just feel like I can, and I'll take the anxiety when it comes at me, and I'll take the tears when I get tired or overcome, and I'll take all of it because I really want to to be there for her, so that I can pull her out to where I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'll That's... take one for the team. If you want to review my book badly and say that I'm self-indulgent, which somebody did, that's fine. <laughs> you don't matter. Well, I'm, she matters. <laughs> I am sure there are many people listening who will say, that's me, I'm the person, I'm that one person, I'm the shadowy figure. So, listeners, yeah, and, if and you the other are... Criticism, the other criticism that I've been getting is the what she got to complain about in her life. You know, she just had to worry about stopping the drinky. You know, it's kind of well, a nothing nice, now but... that you're sober. <laughs> <laughs> but then I think, you know, maybe it's because I am a naturally optimistic person. I didn't have any big underlying nasties to deal with. I am in a stable relationship and comfortable. Maybe those are the reasons that I'm able to stand up and take whatever comes at me, and so I'm never going to feel apologetic for that. It is, I'm open about my life. If you think I've got it easy, that's fine. I just don't mind. Maybe if I am in this position, this is what's leading me to be able to stand up and be vocal, then then great. You know. So it's it's been really intense, but I feel fine about it, and I do feel quite grounded about it, I have to be honest. I also I feel so. like there's the idea of, you know, not comparing our outsides with other people's outsides. So, like, you know, our insides for someone somebody, else's outside. Yeah, how do you say it? Our insides to somebody else's outside. So it's easy yeah. for me as an outsider to look at you and say, oh, well, look at Lada. She's got a great life. What does she have to complain about? But you know what? Like, no one can say what that inner landscape really was like except for us and I don't know about anybody else but I was in tremendous pain when I was actively drinking and it was a very dark overwhelming place and I looked fine on the outside I had a great job blah 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 you know great relationship but you know what no one could judge that um what was really going on for me yeah, and we can look at all those outside things and judge till the cows come home, but it's you're right, mm-hmm. it's irrelevant to what your inner landscape is. Right. This is Jean, and I do on occasion have people comment on my blog as well that are uh, that maybe a little bit, um, just what you said, like it was easy for you or you, maybe, you, maybe you weren't really an alcoholic if you could recover so easily. And, and, and of course it wasn't easy, but the fact is... It, People are in all degrees of hurting and and in all degrees of complexity, and definitely there are millions who you know were much worse than me and overcame more. There's no doubt about that. But I think when people make those kind of comments, I try to remember that they just really want to be heard, 
we all really need to be heard, right? Oprah's all over the radio telling us that. Everyone wants to be heard. And and I think sometimes it's hard for people to say, wow, why does this person have hundreds of thousands of readers and no one's listening to me? And my story is yeah. more interesting. But mm-hmm. what I love about your blog and about your book is that you say to people, great, tell your story. Start a blog or get out there. Like, tell your story, because we do need to hear it. You're right, we do need to hear your story. It helps us. And I love that, that you're not uh, competitive as a blogger, you're not trying to, um, you know, you really are trying to empower other people to connect and to Yeah, and lots of people have started blogs since I've gone public, (laughs) which is great. Mm -hmm. I keep having to update my blog list. (laughs) There's one little... Thing on your on your blog too that sort of said so what we were just talking about was the perspectives of people who are maybe negative about it, like oh you weren't that bad kind of thing. But then on the other hand, you posted something recently about reclaiming the word sober, and you said I was in a meeting yesterday and someone was saying how the word sober has all these negative connotations, that the word points to things being boring or staid or flat or dull or whatever. I've had other friends say that to me in the past as well. I just had to pipe up in this meeting and say, for me, to be honest, I actually love the word because it sums up my entire state of being nowadays. I am sober. I live sober. Sober is the perfect summation of my life, and it's far from being a bad thing. It's a sparkly word to me, and I love that. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because you hear I mean, we hear people say like, "Well, I'm afraid of getting sober because I'm more fun when I drink, or my life will be boring." Um, you know, how am I supposed to celebrate something or go on vacation? Or you know, we hear that a lot. That, and I know I myself that fear of boredom or being a boring person was somehow this had this big hold on me. Now it seems so much less powerful, but. It was a very real thing at the time. And all I'm ever doing in that meeting and when I write about that is sharing my truth. And so for me, that's my truth. Other people, you know, they might not be at that sparkly point yet or even really maybe ever get to that same exact point as me. It's just my truth. And that's all I'm ever doing is sharing my truth openly and honestly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I love that you do, planted a seed there because I, I think now all those people will remember that as well. They may still hold their own, you know, beliefs about that word, but they'll also remember, like, there's this little, you know, dancing Lada in the corner of their mind, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's, that's also a positive thing. And that's how we that's how we change things. Yeah, well, that's true. But, again, I just want to quickly go back to what we were saying about people, you know, maybe saying what have you got to worry about or whatever. Mm-hmm. All that matters at the end is what you know, your relationship mm-hmm. with yourself. And and if I'm going to start feeling defensive about proving my alcoholic credentials, I'm going to get in a dangerous place where I might start convincing myself to have a wine again. So I just have to yeah. start it all out. It doesn't matter. It's what I know, my truth, mm-hmm. what I believe about me. I can't control other people's thoughts and opinions and comments and they don't matter ultimately because I need to look after me and make sure I'm sober forever, which I will be by and the how, way. How do you balance um, the the importance of advocacy and now this reality of, of heightened visibility in addition to this vulnerability and anxiety that you're having, how do you balance the advocacy with your personal program of recovery to stay safe for yourself? I just keep um, coming back to that place in my mind, like actively thinking those thoughts so that I'm repeating them to myself. I'm very active in my brain about my thoughts, what I'm saying to myself, what I'm thinking. And I keep repeating and pulling myself back down to this. So I'm active in my brain to make sure that that's what I know is, is true. And I often have these moments when I'm in bed and I'm snuggled into my pillow and it's just me and my pillow and my brain, and those are the moments that matter, and those are the times when I know my truth, and I stay close to me then, you know, because that's that's mm-hmm. what's going to get me through all of this craziness. This is going to pass, right? This is intense right now. 
it's going to pass. I'm going to be left with me and my pillow and my thoughts forever. Mm-hmm. So that's all. Mm-hmm. I just keep coming back to that. You know, Lada, I've said on this show before that it's, I have this theory that that moment where it's you with your head on the pillow and your eyes are closed and you can't escape mm-hmm. yourself, that for a lot of us, we drank to try and and skip over that moment. I wanted to be so close to asleep by the time my head hit the pillow that I didn't have time to self-reflect because I could not bear to look inside my soul. And I'm so that, happy me, that you're sober. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel like now crying. I love going to bed at night. I I love I, I love being alone with myself. Yeah. I it's it's beautiful, and I'm not afraid of it anymore. And yeah, that's so that the gift, isn't it? Um, yeah, we, we but it's be, uncomfortable at first, right? <laughs> right. It is. It's terrifying. It it was my biggest fear. I would say mm-hmm. the first few days was was going to bed. What and just laying there and being afraid. And, you know, it wasn't so bad. And then as you do more work and more um, learning and more self-reflection and you get little tidbits like, what, resentment? What does that have to do with this? What, perfectionism? What does that have to do with it, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, what? Um, feeling bad about things I've done, my past, why do I need to think about that? And that, as you, as you learn to do that and learn that good comes at it, it's not so scary anymore. Isn't so... Isn't- isn't that why getting sober is so great? Oh, <laughs> I know. It is. it is so beautiful. I mean, don't you guys love it? Do you love being sober? Love it. Absolutely I love it. I yeah. I can't believe I wasted so much time being afraid of doing this. Yeah, but Seth, if we hadn't wasted that time, we might not love it so much. I don't know. I just sometimes I think yeah. it's the turnaround, the big turnaround that's made me fall in love with it so much. I don't know. The comeback. No regrets. Somebody posted a, a a quote that Eminem said about his recovery and how, I, I mean, I don't know what the quote was, but it was something like, you know, how he's starting to appreciate the beauty of things, like the beauty of the effing leaves, man. Like, I wasted so much time not noticing the leaves. And so I took a big, long walk in a park by me today, and I was looking around at all the effing leaves and feeling like, <laughs> yeah, he's so right. <laughs> yeah. I miss these guys. Yeah. 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 For people talking about recovery. Yeah. And the hard stuff. You know, I love that I'm 100% present for the hard stuff. I'm and and I'm in it right now. I'm I'm dealing with difficult things every day. I've got a a aging parent who's who's just really slipped into some very difficult, um, you know, physical shutdown, and I need to be physically strong i'm lifting him i'm moving him. you know it's it's very very hard and it's hard on your heart and i just i'm so glad that i'm able to give so completely of myself to be helpful right now and i'm not worried mm-hmm. about you know i gotta get out of here i gotta get this done so i can get home and you know have my wine yeah that's not wonderful about, and, you know and, 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 and you're not worried about your breath i mean <laughs> and yeah it's so um, when you look back You'll be so pleased that you were so present for it. You know, I, right. I, one of the things I love most is what I call sober hindsight. So it's when mm. you've got through something really hard, even if it's been months of it, and then you reflect, you look back on it, and you have that memory, and you were sober through it. It's it's so much cleaner and clearer to think about. Yeah, definitely. I love that. I wrote it down. That's great. Um, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble if we end this show and haven't told people about your book and how to get it. Um, I'm the envy of North America right now because I posted a picture of me reading your book, and everyone said, how did you get that? Um, <laughs> but but I got it because you you were kind enough to send me an advanced copy that I could read. Yeah, the, but, the physical book isn't available in like warehouses over there for another two months. Uh, I don't really understand publishing. It's been published down here in New Zealand and Australia, and you can buy it on the Internet, a hard copy, and you'll have to wait like four days for it to arrive. So you can definitely buy a hard copy from um, websites like Mighty Ape or Fish Pond, they're called, um, or oh, my publishers directly. you have book sites. <laughs> hey? Mighty Ape? Did you say Mighty, Mighty Ape? Or Fish Mighty Pond. Mighty Ape or Fish Pond. Wow, yeah. that's so much more fun. Uh, yeah, than... but Amazon are going to have it from October, and you can get the Kindle um, now. But 
So yeah. in October to, we can get okay. Yeah. I, I tried to download it on my on my Kindle. I'm in the States and it didn't work. And so like I was saying to you, you know, there's there's recovering Yankees <laughs> all over the United States now who are who are gonna be looking for this this book. Um so well, you think good, it is available like it in the <laughs> Well, I'll um, buy it for all my recovering friends then too. But I, I couldn't find it on the, on the Kindle either, so I'll, I'll have to give that another go. Yeah, I know well, that the Kindle version is available for Amazon. I mean, you just have to search around it. It's going to be everywhere from October, and it's certainly if you want. Oh, there's links on my blog as well. Okay, cool. and tell us your blog. Uh, the blog, blog is, is actually livingwithoutalcohol.blogspot.com. And I've got a Facebook page called Mrs. D is Going Without that um, I've been having some fun with. I'm putting Friday night drink alternatives on, and all the media that I'm doing here in New Zealand is on that Facebook page, all the links to the media that's coming out here. So I'm, oh, kind, yeah. of, I'm kind of everywhere. God, I'm spread thin like butter. <laughs> I love oh, it. Don't wear yourself out, but you are helping people. No. no, I'm still actually just a housewife mother of three. <laughs> And the name and of the book is also, now. it's also Mrs. D is Living Without. Is, it's Going is, Without, yeah, Mrs. Going D is without, Going Without. Excuse me, yeah. And Lada, is there any talk of an audio version of the book? Oh, I don't know. No, I haven't had any talk of that yet. I'll have to um, ask my publishers about that. Do they do that automatically? Do it. I don't really know. We would do love it. to hear your book read in your wonderful New Zealand accent. That would be lovely. <laughs> okay, I'll ask them. <laughs> but it made okay. the bestseller list in New Zealand, so I was quite excited about that. It's number three on the New oh. Zealand nonfiction list, and they've sold out of the first print run. They've had to do another two print runs, so it's doing pretty well. Good woman. That's, yeah, that's fabulous. Wonderful. Congratulations, and well done. It's a wonderful book. I'm enjoying it so much. I, I adore your blog, and I love that... Your book is is sort of the story behind the blog, and well, that's what my publishers were saying so that blog readers need to feel like they're getting more, and I think that does offer much more, doesn't it? That's the story. Oh, absolutely. The yeah, it really it really does, and I think I, I know it, it echoed my experience as a blogger in a lot of ways, and that was really fun too because I, you know, it's fun as a reader of the blog, as a writer of a different kind of blog, and and then as a person in recovery so there's so many ways to connect and i also feel like this is a book that would really interest um someone that's not in recovery but they just you know it's just a good read and it's Once a fun read like you said it's, sort of the, brain. it's a kind of the chick lit genre of sort of a, a fun <laughs> read and um much like a chat with you you know it's it's breezy and fun and yet you manage to work in some really important information about Oh good. I wanted to I wanted to hide the the gritty stuff in amongst all the exclamation marks. <laughs> oh yeah, well. Like a like the mom that hides the vegetables in the in the soup, right? You you yeah, learn how to right. do that from feeding your children. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have we're nearing the end of our time here, so I just want to ask quickly, um you know, if we can just kind of each go around and just sort of share a, a closing thought tonight and Catherine I'll start with you. I I have to say so sober is a sparkly word and that you know that's just that that I have goosebumps actually just thinking about it because that makes me feel excited for another sober day tomorrow and um you know, keep connecting and and being true to ourselves and to each other, and and look at what we can do. It's a, I'm really inspired. Thank you, Lada. Thank you, Jean. Thanks, Catherine. And my my takeaway tonight is, I mean, aside from just being royally thrilled to chat with both of you and and to to share your story, Lada, with all of our listeners. Your words tonight, sober hindsight. That's my takeaway. I wrote it down. And I, I'm I'm really going to cherish that new idea as I go forward through some difficult days ahead. That that I'm will always have the gift of sober hindsight as I look back on this time in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really grateful mm-hmm. to you pointing that out. 
And how about you, lovely Mrs. D? Uh, oh, my my big thing, really big thing at the moment is just you know to say to people, you are not alone. You have mm. to know that you are not alone, and you need to seek us out because we can help each other. And yeah. none of us are experts, but if we share our truths, we're all immensely strengthened. And it's so nice to talk to you guys. And I feel like we could have talked for another five hours. I know. (laughs) Well, Well, you know what that means? We will have you back. We will have you back, and and we love it. So we're so glad you're here. Congratulations on your wonderful book, All Your Success, and I know it'll be a tremendous success uh, over and over again as it gets released in, in more countries. So certainly Canada and the U.S. were waiting for October with bated breath. And uh, also, I want to thank you for your service. Your blog is is a service. The time you spend tonight speaking to us on the phone is is help, it's helpful to not only Catherine and myself, but so many of our listeners. And and the joy in your voice really gives hope to people that are struggling or feeling like, good Lord, could it ever get any better than those difficult first few days? And and um, I just really thank you for your service and sharing your joy and your story with us. Oh, thank you, guys. It's so lovely. I'm feeling the love, even though it's cold here in Wellington, New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, sending you some some love and warmth. <laughs> and I want to thank everyone for listening tonight. Um, our listenership is just growing by leaps and bounds, and that tells me that people are connecting and that um, this show is making a difference. And I really want to thank everyone that shares it with other people who who need to hear a message of encouragement and hope. Um, our website is thebubblehour.com, and if you have any suggestions for shows or any feedback, we really welcome you to pop on there and leave us a comment. Um, also, you can visit us at Crying Out Now, which is a wonderful website that uh, people share stories of recovery on it. Um, we also direct you to our parent organization, shiningstrong.org, and there you'll find links to all of our resources, so you can catch up with everything that we've been up to. If you would like to go to the Bubble Hour's website, as I said, thebubblehour.com, you can subscribe to our shows. You can listen to them directly, stream them, and you can subscribe. Well, I'm reading the same page over because I'm so excited about this show. We want to thank everyone for listening, and we hope you all have a great evening. Stay sober, and remember, you're not alone. We are here with you. Good night, everybody. Good night, ladies. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.